Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Church's Changing Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon, and I am here today with my friends Nora Calmaneras and Rodrigo Cruz, and they are leaders at the Net Church in Gwinnett County, Georgia, which is in the sort of northeastern suburbs of Atlanta. Net stands for Nations Experiencing Transformation Together. Nora and Rodrigo, greetings. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you, Paul. Our pleasure to be in this conversation. So before we get into the subject of the day, which is really about the, the ways that the pandemic has been challenging and, and been a twist in the plot of ministry, tell us a little bit, just give us some backstory on nations experiencing transformation together. What an odd name for a church. How did that come about? Well, let me jump into it. You know, as a church, we are a church plant, right? We, which means we're still only eight years old. Before the church started, when I was assigned by the North Georgia Conference to start a new community of faith, we knew that in our DNA, we wanted to be a multi-ethnic church. We wanted to be a church where people from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds can come together and experience Jesus in it. Honestly, the reason why that was critical for us as a church was because as a church planter, as a member of a multi-ethnic family, of a multicultural family, I wanted to make sure that everyone in my family were, you know, belong to the same church. I strongly believe that someday when we are in heaven, we will not be segregated based on our ethnic traits. So why on earth we should be? So that was, that was the reason why I started this church. Now, when one day, as me and my wife were driving the streets of Gwinnett County, trying to figure out where to start a church and how to call the church the name of the church. I was using the analogy with my wife of how we tend to do fishing in the United Methodist Church. And I use the analogy that we fish with a fishing rod. And if you caught a black fish, you put in a black bucket. If you, could in a, you, know, if you caught a white fish, you put in a white bucket. If you caught a fish that speaks Spanish, you put in a bucket where all the fishes speak Spanish. And I was just sharing my frustration with this method. And I said, we should just cast the net and you get what you get, right? You, you don't pitch a fit. All kind of fishes are there. You know, you may get a beer bottle or a shoe or something like that. That's just what it is. And that's what my wife said. Well, we should be the net, right? Now, English is my second language, but I knew that net spell just with one T, right? N-E-T. We put a second T because that's how you spell Gwinnett, the county where we are. So it was just a marketing reason. And I cannot tell you how many times, especially the first years, people will come to me and say, hey, pastor, do you know that you misspell net? <laughs> so it, it really just sparked conversations, which was the whole point of it. And then like every, you know, every church, right, we make each one of these letters work, right? That is nation experiencing transformation that would have been without the second T. And when we put the second T, that's together. Nora, you've been with NET for how long now? Uh, this is my fourth year. Okay, so about half of that half of that journey, you've been with them as the church grew and became more complex, and your ministry is on multiple locations throughout the county. And in the middle, right after you got there, were you had the pandemic started when you arrived, Nora, or did did it wait for you to arrive? I I came after the pandemic started. Okay, all right. So it was a strange time. I am just really a fan of what Net Church is doing for many reasons, many, many reasons. But one of those reasons is I think that one of the, the 
the, the greatest threats to the future of the United Methodist Church is that we have found ourselves stuck in an Anglo ghetto. That is, and not, no, not just even that, an old Anglo ghetto, because we're not even reaching our kids that well. So there was a time when United Methodists and the Presbyterians USA, or Evangelical Lutherans, Episcopal Church USA, all of these churches were sort of social mainstream because the country itself was so disproportionately or huge majority of white Anglo folks with heritage in England or maybe Germany. And so all of a sudden, we discover ourselves in a country where that piece of the pie is becoming less than half the pie, and we're not even doing well across that pie. We're just working on an aging piece of that. And we've gone from mainstream to sideline, and we have to figure out how to be a church where when you throw out the net, you, you, you get all of the fish. So I really appreciate the work you're doing in creating a very multi-church in Atlanta area. But this pandemic has been a challenge and it's thrown a lot of churches for a loop. Now, data is hard to come by on this, especially since we're some of our people worship online and people are here this week and gone next week and all. But the best I can tell, we had 3 million worshipers in United Methodist churches around the turn of the century that had dropped to 2 million by around 2017, and it's now just a rent hovering around one. And that's in the house, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's very hard to measure this. So we're, we're in the middle of what some people would call a collapse that, is, that was not happening really until about the year 2000, but we began aging out and then all kinds of stuff happened. So I don't know how that, the pandemic in particular and all the disaffiliation and all the ruckus going on, has impacted net, but you planted a church, let's see, eight years ago would put us back in what, 2016? Yeah. yeah. And you were, we were sailing into a hurricane. We didn't know it at that time. I know it, it, it has, those issues have to have impacted you in some way, although many of the people that you're dealing with, they're not a part of the United Methodist drama. They're just responding to the good news. But how, we're, on the backside of this pandemic, what are two or three decisions that you each had to make as leaders at NET responding to this weird moment as the changes came. So I was going to start biblically. What we read in the book of Acts, what we read in the New Testament, is that the vision of God is for the church to be multi, ethnolingual, cultural, generational. We very Easily, the, the early church kind of, you know, at some point started not doing that. But that's what we read. That's what we read about. We also read about the struggles of the early church trying to live, live into that vision. Because it's not an easy vision to live into. So I think one, uh, one thing I want to say is that it, it is not a matter of we want to reach Hispanics or we want to reach Blacks and we want to reach white people. It is a matter of we want to be the church that God had in mind. And we are in a place where that can happen. We are in the most diverse county in the Southeast. So we are surrounded by people from all over the world that speak all kinds of different languages. So starting with that foundation, then how do we do that? 
So it changes the conversation that it is not a matter of tokenism, but a matter of becoming, bringing into life that vision. And that, I've only been here for four years, but that has to do with who is in leadership, that has to do with who we see on stage, that has to do with what kind of music we choose, and that is a continuing growing edge, what components we celebrate. So it's even not about having different color people sitting on the pews, but it's about celebrating who we are and celebrating uh, different styles of worship. And this also means learning from one another. So different, the different stories or are all celebrated and valued. And that also means opening the space for those stories to be shared. Yeah, uh, you know, ditto to what Nora said. If, if I can add something is, you know, when I look at the, at the story of the net, right, is we're still, you know, going to our eighth year. I, I have already put the church almost like in three age periods, if I can even use that phrase, or, or three seasons. What is 2016 to 2019, right? Really, where we started and how we start moving. You know, in that in those three years, we went from being a homeless church, right, starting in a living room in a high school, to be operating in three campuses. Then 2020 got here, and there were three things that happened that year. That pandemic happened, right? We were shut down March 8th of 2020. And we did not reopen our doors until Easter of 2021, right? So the pandemic happened. Two, that year I was asked to be a district superintendent. So that summer, my role shifted or or I would just drop something else in my plate. And I will say it was also that year where we built, you know, the, the core of our team that we had. And then our third season, right, or third age period is 2021 to present, right? And since then, we have launched two more campuses, right? Paul, when you ask about the, you know, two, three things that we have done, if I can summarize them, right, there will be the first one is, you know, continue to be true to who we are. And by that, I mean, you know, not only what Nora shared, right, our DNA as a church, is also at the pace that we move, right? I mean, we went from zero to to a thousand in a very fast pace. And personally, that's how I operate. I mean, I only know one speed in ministry, but, but that that's just how the church operates. 2020 for me was a, an extremely hard year because it forced me to slow down. And I have to fight with my own demons on that. But as soon as, soon as we were able to go on our feet, it's like, you know what, we put the you know, the pedal, back into, the pedal back into the gas, right? And, and, and we keep pressing again. Where what I see other churches that, you know, once they have moved slow before, but then even the pandemic has slowed them even more. And we have tried to avoid that. But then two, and perhaps the most important one, it has forced me, but enabled me to really, you know, operate with a shared leadership mentality, and, and be able to have a, an, an incredible, talented, gifted team and just let them lose, right? Let them live out within their calling and their gifts. And I think that's what has been able to help us, you know, come through the pandemic, come through the disaffiliation like nothing happened, 
and just keep moving forward. Now, that comes with a lot of challenges and because we keep making mistakes and we keep making you know, errors and we keep you know, going through all that. But is we're not second guessing who we are as a church, right? We just keep doing what we do. Was there anything that you realized in the slowing down during 2020, in particular, in the slowing down, were you able to stop and to see things in a different light or to shift your focus at all as a result of just getting out of a, the, the fifth gear and being in that, that slower pace? Yeah, you know, I mean, one is a, I did realize that even within the staff, we have a very gifted staff. Probably the pandemic in somehow was a break for them. I mean, you know, the fact that we kind of were forced to slow down a little bit, it, you know, it was a breather. Now, like most churches, then we end up our working ourselves, trying to do anything that we could during this, you know, shutdown period. And, and you know, everybody working probably more than before. But then it just helped us to, to catch a break as a church, right? I mean, as just four years old church experiencing the, the growth. And, and, and you've been here, Paul. I mean, right up, our growth really has come in, I would say, in impact and influence in our community more than just in critical mass, right? Like we may think in church. We sound and act and behave like if we are a mega church in our county. And we're not. I mean, there's mega churches around us and we're a lot noisier than them in the way we connect, you know, you know, with brokenness. So, so I think the pandemic helped. And I think it also helped us, you know, to set some systems in place, you know, bringing somebody like Nora that, that can help us, right? I mean, put the systems in place and, and go deeper in the, instead of just going wider. It has given us now more of, of a bandwidth to keep going farther. You know, you talk about you're not a megachurch. Your numbers are not getting into the multi-thousands. And yet you make a big impact. You make a lot of noise. You make a lot of splash for the kind of church you are. That has struck me as a good thing to figure out how to do in the 21st century. Because often we see very large churches that become very much inward systems. And unless you walk inside, you could live for 40 years in the same zip code and never be and never know, never be impacted at all. How have you been able to leverage the church that you have and the people you have to make a splash, to get some attention? So two ways. One is in our Wesleyan theology that we believe on prevailing grace. Okay. So God is already out there, active and acting and transforming outside the walls of the church. So our call is to figure it out, how we can join God and what God is already doing. And, and that means connecting with people, connecting on what things are happening, organization, nonprofit, government, business that are doing amazing stuff, and we can just join them as well. And then uh, the second thing is we try, we're not perfect like this by any means, but we try to use an asset-based approach instead of a needs-based approach. So ABCD, asset-based community development. So on one side, in seeing what assets we have that we can uh, use to serve the community, that God can use to impact the community, but also on seeing outside the church what assets are out there, what the people, uh, their gifts, their abilities, and how we can come alongside them. So when we see people through, through what they're lacking, 
we don't we are not seeing people in their fullness and we are trying to see people for the abundance that God has already given them and then we can come alongside of them and form partnership where we can make a bigger impact even though we're not a large church how did the church's growth change during that say 15 months when we didn't have vaccines and we were trying to lie low what i presume that you were still growing in some ways but it was a it was different but what was that season like for that you know we we experienced what most churches try right okay how do we maximize and perfectionize our online presence right and we you know right. went and bought cameras and tried to you know spend money into try to make worship more high end and we and we saw probably the trends in most churches like i will include that as, as me and my family right the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, it was exciting to sit as a family in the living room and watch, you know, our own service and oh yeah, that's cool and and then you know a couple of weeks later our kids is like yeah we really want to sleep in, and then a couple of weeks later you know they wanted to play video games and then you know what I mean, it kind of lose lose that end, so I think we as a, as a staff we talk about, we were able to adapt to what we were experiencing right, one of the probably most life-giving things that we did was, you know, having house churches, right? We move into house churches and we have some with where kids could come and, you know, make a mess and just, you know, be around one another. Uh, and then we have others that were more, you know, for people without adults and a mix of them and just be able to give people the ability to get connected with one another and focus less in the perfection or a perfect idea of worship, right? We start focusing less into the quality of or what a production would look like, but actually, you know, try to put our energy in, in the relational capital. That's what people were craving for, to connect with one another. So I hear that you were, that you were pivoting into sort of a micro-church, house-church gathering model. At some point during 2020, you realized you were going to have to make a pivot that way, at least short-term, and people went along with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I remember we did that during the summer, like in my house, I can speak for that one. I mean, I think at some point we have like 70 people there. 70. 70. It was just a bunch of kids and a bunch of parents. And it was, and it was, that what people were craving for, just to be one another. And, you know, instead of their kids fighting with each other, fighting with other kids, right? And Outside. It was outside. Yeah. And it was less about what worship looked like. So I think we... And we have never been an attractional model church, right? I mean, we try to provide quality as, as worship because, you know, God deserves our excellence. But, you know, there's no way whatever we have done, it could have put, you know, the resources that some of the big churches in our area have. So we just went back to put the energy in, in what makes the net unique. And that is, you know, the experiential part of being together. And we continue doing Mission Sundays. You know, very carefully, but and so the what we did was a little bit different, and people continued to come and and got involved, and we got new people to come because they like the the component of the mission Sunday. We also did worship outside in the parking lot, and yeah, we came up with a bunch of different ideas. Now, for our listeners who do not know about the mission Sundays the way you do those, could you just maybe give a little quick definition of what that is? So we believe that the call of the church is to be engaged in, in its community. So the last Sunday of the month, we stop the routine of uh, the worship services, and we go out into the community as a church. 
we dedicate that day to serve God in a different way outside the walls of the church, doing something that will positively impact the community. And that involves adults and children and elderly that will show what living out our faith means. So 12 times a year, 12 times a year, you change gears on that Sunday. Yeah, right. We, we follow the Acts 1-8 approach, and that's kind of how we split our Sundays, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world, right? And, and we call Jerusalem those four zip codes where we have our campuses. Uh, Judea is our greater you know, county where we are. Samaria are those within our midst that are you know, neglected by society, right? Victims of sex trafficking, single moms, even elderly or children at risk. And then the end of the world that goes, you know, outside of the United States, but also, you know, refugees within the county or within the country. And uh, as Nora mentioned, given the diverse community that we have, the world that is between the United States. So you have four, how many, you have four sites right now? or five, what, How many sites are you working? That, that is correct. We have four sites and then we have one campus that we call Campus Las Americas. And that is specific ministry that we're doing with the Hispanic Latino community, really especially at the marketplace in the mall that we have next door to us. So that many places and different people and different projects, surely you've tried a few things that didn't work. I mean, there's no way to do innovation and you try some things and it's like, hmm, either you learn from it or you say that was interesting. What is something that you that comes to mind that you tried that maybe didn't work so well the first time out? Nora, anyone in particular that comes to mind to you? The only one that came to mind is that we we invited people during, I think it was when we didn't have worship services on site, we invited people to come to Plaza Las Americas for lunch. No, I think we had already opened the worship services, sorry. And uh, so we invited people if they wanted because we couldn't have dinners to come over to Plaza Las Americas for lunch at the mall, mm-hmm. the food court. And a few people come, but not not a big big number. And it kind of died down after uh, after three Sunday. I mean, it was it was still fun, but uh, so that didn't quite take. Yeah, you know, uh, specifically with Mission Sundays, right? We have gone back and forth and, and a mix in between between right helping a few individuals in a very substantial way, or or try to reach thousands of people in a very you know. Uh, less impactful way. And we have learned, you know, there are pros and cons with all of them. I will say there's several missions on it that we do, right? I mean, they have become like a regular every year, right? We have adapted them and pivot them. We learn always. And then there's some that we just haven't, you know, right, do it again. It was like, okay, that was a nice idea, but yeah, we're not going to do this again. Now, as you came back in, in 2021 to gathering on site, and you've been there now for more than two years back, how was the church different in, in regathering than the church before? How, had, how, how is it different post-pandemic? So a couple of things, right? As, as we were, you know, regathering, we, you know, we, one more time, tried to adapt of not only doing social distancing within the chairs, we actually transformed several of our classrooms into family gathering rooms, especially those families that may have the, you know, a compromised immune system or that they were not ready to, you know, to be adapt. We use an overflow space that just kind of became, you know, became the place for people. I think we learned quickly that 
everybody move at a different pace and we just couldn't find a way to help everybody move you know together or at the same pace we just had to move right and then let people catch up whenever they could catch up in the speed we acknowledged very quickly that there were going to be people that were not going to come back right the pandemic was a season for them to you know fall into cracks even though we did everything that we could to stop it but also it just created the opportunity to to just gather new people gosh i mean i will say it you know especially in, in our Berkmar campus our biggest service it almost feels that maybe 60% of the people right now are post pandemic mm-hmm. is is just it's almost like there was no way for us to stop a back door no matter how hard we try but then just a the front door was continue to see an influx of people. We just came to the realization to be be okay with it, right? Versus just dwelling like, gosh, why is this family not back after we have done everything that we can? We just have to respect people, I guess. And, and we probably increased several fold our social media presence huh. and our, stra- our strategy in terms of uh, social media presence not only in Facebook in the public page, but we also have a a, a group. Uh, we also you know, Instagram. And in the last several years, we we um, increased that in different ways, learning as we go, what works well, and that has made that's made a difference. When when we ask people, how do you find that out, find out about us? Many cases is through social media. So, the momentum, I presume, has built back. Are you essentially doing the same things you were doing before the pandemic and people and a new group of people are just responding to that? Or has what you do shifted some? You know, I think we have learned, you know, especially as we were going through that pandemic, right? That as people were getting busier, right? Into, you know, for a year, people put their lives on pause, right? At least here in Georgia, almost for a year that that as much as as much as eager as they were to come back to church, they were as much eager to go back to do anything else, right? To put their kids in programs, sports, and to do anything else. So, so for example, pre-pandemic, our Wednesday night program was going to look like almost like six months at a time, right? Like we will do, you know, starting in January, going all the way until May. And now we have learned to be more seasonal into, you know, we do four, five, six weeks you know, windows of, of programming that includes a meal and a mission component on Wednesday nights, right? That, that was an adaptation of of in this new reality. You know, we're small groups or live groups, right? We're actually relaunching them again in, in January into going back to the homes, mm-hmm. right? And and let them continue to be, right, what it was during during that time versus trying to centralize everything in, in a location. I, I wasn't here before, so. But one of the things we also trying to do is how do we, so so culture is is part of who we are, how we, how we understand God, relationships, uh, how we behave is informed by by our culture. So we try we've tried to, and again, it's a growing edge. We try to incorporate the different cultures of the church. In, in different ways in the life of the church, including in worship, which has always been challenging and probably always will be, but the different languages, different stories, different traditions, trying to be consistent in, in incorporating that. 
Now, one of the things you did, I know this year, was you started at one of your locations, you started a dinner church. Different groups have played with that. What have you learned on that journey? Because you, you got the attention of some folks starting out. It started with a pretty good bang. What, what, and Wu is not here, Pastor Wu, to reflect on that, but from what you have been able to see on that journey, what, how's that gone? What, what did you learn about dinner church? You know, I think one of the things that, that he will say if he was here was that, you know, and that, that dinner church group is, is really a younger generation, right? Right. Uh, than me and Nora. It, you know, people in their 20s, maybe early 30s. And, and part of the concept was, you know, to, to have a very, I don't know if I can use the word high-end dinner, right? But it was, you know, diverse food and, and, and rich food, you know what I mean, for, for their palates, right? And what we have, what he has learned, what we have learned is that probably those people care less about the quality of the food, but actually the quality of the relationships that they're building, right? So obviously they're looking at doing things at a different cost, but also different level of production and, and be able to not only simplify things, but actually create the experience where people can cook the meal together versus a three-course meal being provided to them. A couple more things too is they do their promotion exclusively through Instagram. There is not a, not even a website or anything like that. It's just exclusively Instagram. And there are new people there every Sunday. Uh, one Sunday, not too long ago, there were 12 new people that just came for the first time. So that, that has been uh, really interesting. And the second thing is that, you know, we come from churches particularly older white churches that want the one hour, you know, the 60 minutes worship service. And if you go over that, some people are not very going to be very happy. The, the, that dinner church at the table, it lasts two mm. hours. And, uh, and the energy that, uh, that you see around those tables of the conversation, people engaging in, in deep conversation, even when they just met around what they heard in the message and, they share of, of themselves is, is very powerful. Well, it certainly is a model that is spreading all over the planet. And really, it, it's kind of a re-engineering of the Book of Acts church, right? Rodrigo, you're a district superintendent now for the last, what, three years? Uh, three and a half feels like eight, like dog years. <laughs> Who's counting? So you've seen these issues playing out in dozens of churches in your district coming back from the pandemic. Why do you think some churches were less damaged in their momentum and their ministry by the pandemic than others? I mean, I, I, I was—I have to say it, it's leadership. You know, clergy and lay leadership handled things different, right? Those who had the, the ability to innovate, to take risk, but also to be able to, you know, have that political capital within their churches, right, to make some changes, were able to come, you know, on the other side, different than those who, who did not, right? And and I will, I can almost say the same thing with this pandemic, with this this affiliation conversation, right? In in many cases, was was grounded in leadership. I had friends in a church that I served thirty years ago, who, upon retirement, they decided to take a cruise around the world, and in the middle of the Indian Ocean, they announced one evening after dinner on the ship that they were going to be sailing through a typhoon or a hurricane and that the doctor would be the ship doctor would be coming room by room 
to give them Dramamine or whatever it was to put them to sleep so they would sleep through the storm because they were going to sail through a Category 2 that evening. And, you know, the, the funny thing was is the, the, the captain said, you know, we, have, we can't just bob around out there. we gotta, we got to be moving. We have to sail into this with some momentum. And, and I've observed that churches that were going somewhere might have gotten bounced around a little bit, but they were going somewhere, and that helped a whole lot going into the pandemic, as opposed to churches that weren't going anywhere, that were just kind of in a settled, non-moving position. They got beat up pretty bad. Yeah. Does that fit with what you saw? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, vision and mission drive, you know, moves people, right? And that could be moving them forward or get them static. I was going to say, Rodrigo has created a culture of innovation and permission given. So when staff or lay members have an idea and they want to work on something, I will tell them, just find some people to, to, to do this with you. And we don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops and we, we're not to, we're, we don't have to be afraid of, oh, what so-and-so will say or somebody will complain. And some people will complain anyway. So, but that that culture of innovation uh, is, is part of the culture of this church, which I think has made a difference. And in that story about innovation, I hear a culture of really permission giving to try it. Don't, don't be intimidated. Try it. Go for it. You know, one of the things that we believe, right, is, I mean, a couple of, well, a couple, certain things that are our foundation. One of them is, you know, we believe it's all or bust, right? I mean, either we reach out to all, and as long as we don't do that, our mission is still incomplete. So so that just forces us to keep, keep hustling, right? It just creates a hunger in us as a church that we need to keep trying things. Two is that, and that and that just becomes part of being a multicultural church, right? Because in, in a more of a homogeneous church, not only racially, but also politically, right? Everything is black and white. Everything is, you know, my way or the highway, et cetera. But in the, in the beauty of the melting pot that we are, we just do a lot of ministry on the gray. So there's just the opportunity to do whatever we want to do to reach people. Now, I will say one of the downsides, right, is if somebody comes to an idea with us, Say, we want to do this? Say, sure, right? Obviously, we are not a rich church, so we cannot just fund anything. And probably the biggest thing for some people is that not because they have a vision, that means other people are going to agree with their vision, which means not everybody's going to want to do what they want to do. So so it, it puts the, ba- the weight in, in some ways in the back of people to try to right, sell their vision. Like somebody came to us and said, hey, you know, I have a heart to go and start worship in a living assisted living facilities and go there on Saturdays and have a production of worship and all that go for it right and he has a core group to people to do it right and he's going well and he's going strong he said well I would like to see more people joining I said well obviously but it but you cannot force everybody to have the same passion that you have right so we support everybody's passions we say as long as it's not illegal or immoral we're willing to give it a shot but not everybody's going to drink the Kool-Aid so in your system, how do you coach these upstart ministry developers that have a, they have a vision for doing a new ministry like that? How do you, how do you help them? Yeah. So we, we do try to have the overall umbrella. We call it our now system. And that is nurture, outreach, and worship. Okay. Right. That, that's pretty much what we do. Either we help people to get to know God, right? And that's almost everything that we do in nurture discipleship. 
we get people to get to love God, and that is with everything that we do missionally, and we get people to worship God, right? So if somebody has an idea, it has to fit into one of those three buckets. Okay. If it doesn't help people to know God, love God, or worship God, it doesn't matter how cool idea is, we're just not going to do it. So, so that helps to, you know, to find that a place within the church. And then, which we're constantly shuffling, right? Then we have to, we have the leadership in each one of those three areas that can help funnel those things, right? For example, Mission Sundays. I mean, we only have 12 Sundays a year. We have more than 12 ideas a year because people want to do things for Mission Sunday, right? So we have done things as, we have done a thing that we call Vision Sunday, where we hear people's, right, passions and stories. And we use this analogy of people's heart. What made your heart, what breaks your heart and what made your heart beat, right? What are the things that you see around you that, that bothers you, that you want to do something, but whilst, you know, in the community? And what are the things that, right, excite you about? And then, you know, trying to have leaders in those areas that can help say, okay, we have 20 ideas. We cannot do all of those. We're going to, you know, start with these ones. Or at least we're going to start funding these ones. The other, the other ones can happen, but, you know, you have to find the money for them. So our time is about up here. This is a fascinating place. And I look for, I've been two different weekends with you. I look forward to, to a third one these days because from one to the next, it was a different place. Your church is a dynamic church, like, a, like any living organism. It is not a static place. It's a dynamic place. It's changing. It's morphing, even as you have very clear DNA that, that holds it all together. But where is Net Church going? I'll just, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to qualify the question. Where is this thing going? You know, I mean, we, we say this statement, and, I, and it's a true statement. We believe we can influence the county where we live one zip code at a time, which means if given the opportunity, I mean, we can, we, you know, we can end up with 30 campuses, right? Now, we are a United Methodist Church. By, by default, right, we, we have to learn to operate even within our itinerary system, right? Paul, you know, you know better than ever that church plans, they have to decentralize from the, from the founding pastor. I think that's one of the, one of the next steps for us in, in whatever season we encounter, right? And, and shared leadership has enabled to do that. So, so at some point, in one way, we, we never want to lose the hustle of a, of a church start, right? And we still use the language that we're a church start because it, there's, some, there's some hungry that comes with it. But then in the other one, right, we, we have to keep maturing, right? We, you know, we're coming into, you know, into year eight. So we're about to enter our teen years, right? And we're going to experience growth and changes in ways that we haven't ever experienced it before. So one of the things that, that we want to do is to make sure, right, we, we really know who we are. So as we keep morphing into these teen years, you know, we can remember who we are. And why not, right? Be able to influence our county one zip code at a time. Nora, what would you add to that? Where's it going? To continue reaching our neighbors from all over the world. Mm. Continue to open the spaces for those stories to be shared and celebrate what God is already doing. It's, it's, it's not our doing, but it's, it's God's doing. God is developing and growing God's church. 
before you said it was God's doing, I was already thinking, I was tracking along, I guess, with where you were going there, that what you were really talking about there is we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to do. And then God's going to do what God does. Right. And that's where we're going. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have to move move out of the way, but also a step away from some of the things that the church has, obstacles that the church, church has put in place that has hindered growth. I said, we have to just move those things away. There are no... There are no sacred cows. There is just a sacred God yes. that is doing God's things. Beautiful. Well, friends, you, you've gotten a little taste of what NET is about. This is in the northeastern Atlanta metro area. If you're within three hours' drive of Atlanta, I would encourage you, highly encourage you, and I've never said this before in one of these podcasts, interviewing local team, but I would encourage you, take a Sunday, get the senior pastor and three or four others, hop in a SUV and go see what's going on there and and you'll be talking all the way home because church as we have been doing it is not cutting it and I really believe that these friends in the Atlanta area and Gwinnett County are aware of that and they're really moving in tandem with the Holy Spirit to create a church that's the right church for this moment in time and and you love your neighbors you love your neighbors that goes a long way toward church credibility in an era where we have such bad rap. Thank you, both of you, Rodrigo, Nora. Thank you for spending time with us today. Our pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. This is the Church is Changing podcast. I'm Paul Nixon. I've been with Rodrigo Cruz and Nora Colmenares, who are leaders at Net Church in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Church is Changing podcast is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.